Hello and welcome. This is the Truth Proclaimed Podcast. I am Aaron Owens. We are beginning a journey. We are beginning a series. And the name of that series is The War for Territory. Every believer is at war, fighting against something. But many times we think that the war comes from without. But in many cases, the war comes from within. It is the job and the duty of every believer to allow the Holy Spirit to evict, to eradicate every foreign agent within our heart, mind, and soul that does not belong. We're going to look at the children of Israel and their journey into the promised land to see how we as believers can use their example to be delivered from everything that is not of God and to be true followers and true believers walking in full assurance of faith. Won't you join me? The Truth Proclaimed Podcast. God bless you. And I hope that you'll be encouraged by this series. The greatest battle that we'll ever fight is the battle within ourselves. I am Israel. We are Israel. Actually, my name is Aaron. But every believer that is born again and has repented and turned to God is spiritual Israel. We are the children of Israel. Our mind, body, and soul, which make up our entire being, is like a city, like a country or a territory. We don't fully understand the deep nature of the human psyche, but what we do know is that we are complex beings created by infinitely more complex God. Once again, my name is Aaron, and I'm on a journey. Now that I tell you that I'm on a journey, I don't expect, or I don't want you to expect, that I have all the answers. But what I do have is an experience. I have many observations. I have my own unique perspective, as you do. But most of all, I have my testimony. Testimony is something that cannot be debated or philosophized. A testimony just is. Testimonies are also, in many ways, reproductive. They tend to reproduce more testimonies. I'll give you an example of that. Before I was born, an extraordinary testimony was born by the grace of God through the life of my father. My mom and dad met somewhere around probably 1975. My dad was a heroin addict. And my mom didn't even know. She didn't even know the level of drug addiction that he was involved with until one day she found needles in his pocket, probably somewhere around 1980. However, in the year 1980, his testimony was born. Now, a testimony is simply evidence or proof that something exists. A testimony of a believer in Christ is proof that God exists. In other words, so when you have a testimony about the goodness of God, it's proof that God exists. It's, 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 it's proof that's more substantial than what any atheist could present against the existence of God. This is so because what makes a true testimony a testimony is that the evidence of this supernatural event that happens in the life of a believer can only point to the doing of one 
individual. A supernatural being that has the power to perform what has clearly been done and witnessed by a believer. So the evidence of what we see proves to the existence of what we cannot see. That's why a testimony is so powerful. Now the testimony that was birthed through my father being a heroin addict before I was born was that he stopped heroin cold turkey. Anybody that know me or know my family um, and met my father, you know that this is something that you've heard him talk about many, many times. But he stopped heroin cold turkey. He just stopped. It was not that he just woke up one morning and decided he did not want it, but it was God-ordained circumstances that led to his eventual complete deliverance from this drug. I'll tell you what happened. He worked with some Pentecostal brothers at a local meat market in West Philadelphia. He had grown up in that area and spent time in the Navy shortly after he graduated from Catholic school. He grew up Catholic and grew up thinking, he often talked about, he grew up thinking that how whatever you want to call them, charismatics, Pentecostals, apostolic, whatever they you want to give title you want to give to them, he thought they were fanatics. Now, working with these men, uh, he was invited to attend their church. The church was a little old storefront, which also was in West Philadelphia. Now, he began to attend regularly and later joined. But what happened to him one night when he stumbled into one of their prayer meetings, completely high on drugs, would forever change his life and my life. My life that had not even come to fruition yet. He received the gift of the Holy Ghost that night. He spoke with tongues and rejoiced in the Holy Ghost. From that day, never did heroin again. Now, this was his testimony. And anybody that knows medical science knows that it's a very... Um, probably under 1% of a person ever being able to quit a drug such as heroin instantly. In many ways, these drugs such as heroin, they fuse with your physiology and uh, with your makeup, and it, it can become almost increasingly, many think, impossible to stop a drug like heroin. Now, that was his testimony. I don't share that specific testimony, but my existence, my very existence, is a testimony that was birthed out of his. You see, what if he had never been delivered? Would I have ever been born? Would he have died in a bad drug deal in the crazy streets of Philly in the 70s? Who knows where I would be if God had not intervened in his life? Now, I guess the cute thing to say next that after that, me and my brothers were born and things were wonderful and we lived happily ever after. Well, I'm sorry, I can't say that. That statement would be far from the truth. Many times my household was like a, in many ways, like a war zone. We would go out to church sometimes. My father would preach 
or that night or the next day or sometime after something would happen between him and my parents. It would spark an argument and then I would observe something that would baffle me and challenge my faith for for years. My father would leave. He would go from this devout Christian that was pressed, hard pressed about righteousness and holy living to being a smoking, drinking, enraged individual that I was many times, um, sorry to say, afraid of. That cycle of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde would continue until ultimately my dad left for good. Well, it was not for good, but it was for seven years of, of my life. Those years felt in many ways like an eternity. What baffled me in my childhood about my father was how a person with such a testimony and such zeal towards God turned into the complete, like the complete opposite. Overnight. During the years that he was gone, I grew bitter towards him. I judged his character and considered him just a weak person. My father left when I was 11. When I was 18 in my freshman year at Lincoln University, he stumbled back to our family, to the church, and to his ministry, battered and beat up by the world. What confused me about my father's testimony and the ups and downs of his life was what I would come to gain an understanding of through my own life experiences and my personal walk with God. In other words, his life posed the question, but my life provided the answer. James 1 and 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Through the deliverance ministry and writings of people such as Derek Prince and John Eckhart, I don't know if many of you have heard of those uh, individuals, but I've learned so much from them. From their deliverance ministries and their writings and teachings, I I learned a lot. One of the things we learned is that double-mindedness is in varying degrees. Many ways would be called schizophrenia. Ironically enough, this sickness is prevalent in my dad's side of the family. The double-mindedness that would cause such swift personality changes was a known medical condition. But... It is also a spiritual condition prescribed and diagnosed in Scripture. Chapter 4, verse 8, James gives the prescription for his earlier diagnosed condition. Because you know any doctor that gives a diagnosis, he gives a treatment. This is what he says. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye, what, double-minded. His prescription for double-mindedness was to purify the heart. The Greek word used for heart here is cardia, which denotes the soul or mind, as it is the fountain and seat of the thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors. In this series, in this study, I want to deal with the definition 
this particular definition of the heart. I want to address the condition of the heart and how it is defined here. Now, in my teenage years, I was blinded by judgment and condemnation towards my dad. But it was not until I became a husband and a father that I understood and appreciated his own struggle. In many cases, sometimes it's, that's too late. But I thank God in my condition, in my situation, I was able to um, bring closure and bring uh, God was able to usher in peace into that relationship, which was a great blessing. Now, every believer that has confessed Jesus Christ is at war. Great Apostle Paul whose works and achievements as well as his sacrifices and dedication toward the gospel of Christ cannot be rivaled. Even he understood the war between evil spiritual forces and godly influences, whether within our heart or without. Now, where I think many Christians miss the mark is that they know that they are at war But believers many times think they're at war with their brothers or sisters or with the world. And I can't seem to leave the book of James in trying to deliver this illustration. But look again. Look at James 4 and 1. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? The members that James was talking about, they are the members of our own being the members of our own heart. We are not really at war with others, but with ourselves, or elements that are active within ourselves. If we understand this and consider this, then we must reconsider how and who we fight. Listen, brothers and sisters, the biggest problem we have is ourselves. We are the problem. There are elements within us that war against us. Foreign agents that seek to gain territory in our heart. The seat of our feelings and our emotions, the center of our desires and thoughts. Studying the works of these great evangelists and deliverance ministers, such as Derek Prince, I learned that demons are not just evil spirits. But in many ways, they're personalities. They're like persons without bodies. They personify evil qualities such as hate, lust, depression, and anger. Well, I guess now you you see I'm speaking about demons. And at this point, many Christians would uh, turn this off and think that this would apply to someone that's a sinner. But I want to encourage you to keep listening because in many ways as I told you about my father's testimony and the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of scenario but he's not an anomaly in other words he's not an isolated case I'm not an anomaly I'm not an isolated case no Christian or saint of God can be possessed because we are owned by God through the blood of Jesus but Christians can and have and will continue in many ways to be influenced, fought against, sometimes tormented or seduced by evil spirits and influence that still have residence 
in areas of our heart. There is an intense war, brothers and sisters, within our heart. When we receive Christ and are obedient to his plan of salvation, we have an experience with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit, and are filled with his presence. Well, now, I guess it would seem to be contradictory to say we're filled with the Spirit, but yet we have areas in our heart and our personality that have evil influence or that are influenced by evil entities. I begin by saying I'm, I'm Israel. We are Israel. But this is true for Christians as it relates to our standing as children of God. But it's also true with regards to our life as believers. Every newborn Christian is like the newborn nation of Israel. Just like Israel, we are pulled out of a people, whether black, white, Democratic, Republican, poor, rich, American, English, German, Chinese, it doesn't matter. We're born into the family of God. Listen at what Genesis 12 and 1 says. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee. Israel is now a seed that germinated with the calling of Abraham. Abraham left his people, his nation, and his gods to serve the true and living God. The children of Israel were born as a family with Jacob, wrestling with the angel and prevailing. The angel changing Jacob's name to Israel. Israel became an abundant people in Egypt. And then the more they were afflicted, the more they grew. But Israel became one nation under God in the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai. At Mount Carmel, the law was delivered to the people and their identity as the children of God was established. After 40 years of hard-heartedness and disobedience, as a people, howbeit a brand new generation entered the promised land. For the Israelites, the promised land represented salvation. Now, for the believer, our promised land is when we receive salvation and walk in the newness of life. The promised land, in many ways, is not a representation of heaven in the Old Testament because there were trials and tribulation, wickedness and evil in the promised land. But the picture that the Old Testament illustrates to the children, to the church today, is the place of fulfillment of God's promises. Regarding our salvation from the old world of sin. Like I said earlier. When I was giving you the testimony of my dad. When he got delivered from sin and entered his promised land of salvation. There was still opposition. When the children of Israel entered the promised land. And people lived there. Enemies lived there. Think about it. Wouldn't it have been beautiful for God to bring Joshua and the nation of Israel. Into the land of promise. And it was completely empty. When you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart and you repent from sin and are baptized in water and you receive the the Holy Spirit of God, the war is not over. It has just begun. You become Israel. You enter the land that God says is yours. But there are still enemies occupying areas of your personal space. A spirit of anger from past hurts. You can praise, shout, and dance, but under certain circumstances, something from within rises within you, and you know that it's not of God. It takes control. Let us admit this together. You and I know it comes from within. 
It's abiding somewhere within our heart. But yet we have evidence that we have the Spirit of God. How do we explain this? How do we understand this? Many people say, if you acted this way, you must not be saved. You must not have the Holy Ghost. If you did this or if you acted in this way. But but let's, how do we understand this in a scriptural way? So that we can make sure that we're being truthful and honest. And we're saying what God says. The journey that I'm on is not a completed one. I did all of this talking about my the failures and testimonies of my father. But this this series and this study is not about his failures or his testimony. But it's about my testimony. And it's about what I can extrapolate to help others on my journey that I'm still on. Of course, there's no testimony without a test, however. I must take you through my experiences so that you will understand understand that God has given me concerning spiritual warfare. It is the war for territory. It is the war for territory. It's a war for what belongs to us. I'm not talking about the car or the house, but I'm speaking about our personality. My personality. It should be ours. It should be single and not double-minded. The Spirit of God within us must take possession of these areas of our personality, whether it be lust, unforgiveness, hurt, bitterness, or guilt. These demonic influences generate from within and must be evicted. I'm going to say that again. Whether it be lust, unforgiveness, hurt, bitterness, guilt, shame, these influences generate from within and must be evicted. I want to try to weave my personal struggles and testimony throughout this study and I'll, I'll display the, the beautiful artistic picture that the story of King David, Joshua, Moses, what they unveiled to us concerning the state of the soul and the nature of spiritual warfare in the heart of the believer. Many times when I preach, I, I like to grab my New Testament scripture and then grab my Old Testament scripture and whatever spiritual points I'm trying to bring out in my New Testament scripture, I try to give a, a pictorial example in the Old Testament. I think it will do us well. David, for example, was a man after God's own heart. If we had the heart of God, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is indeed the heart or mind of God in the soul and in the mind of the believer. So in many ways, David is a picture of the Holy Spirit. After becoming king, David had to unify the nation of Israel and make them one nation once again under God. David had to defeat the Philistines and eradicate the enemies that still inhabited Israel. The enemies that still inhabit our land. Through our observation of David's exploits, gaining prominence in the kingdom of Israel, we can understand more clearly the battle that needs to be won within our own heart. Remember that you are Israel, that the spirit of the living God is at war 
against our enemies within us. Don't think that you're not saved because you're in a struggle or because you're battling with a horrible addiction. We are in a war for territory and the territory is the precious space within our soul.